Welcome to the Neo Joshua Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this is our two-year anniversary episode, so we're going to celebrate it by talking about one of the seminal figures in internal martial arts, uh, Sun Ludong. Uh, so in this episode, we begin by talking about Sung's early life a little bit his training with his main teachers. Uh, then we look at some of his writings about training internal martial arts in general and the principles and how they relate to Taoism and uh, meditation. So again, I want to thank everyone for your support over the last couple years. It really means a lot to us that people are listening. We got some exciting stuff coming up. We got interviews. We got more training sessions. Obviously, more podcasts, so stick around. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening and take care of yourselves. Welcome to the Neja Chuan podcast with Isaac and Jess. Today, we want to talk about one of our favorite martial arts figures, the famous Sun Lu Dong, who's uh, well known in the internal martial arts community as a master of Xing Yi, Bagua, and Tai Chi. And so over the years, we've heard a lot of stories about him and his adventures. And he's sort of a, I'd say, a pretty important figure in internal martial arts history. Someone who, especially especially well-known for bringing the literary side of it, like the books and the philosophy and the teachings and sort of the cosmological concepts. Things like Tai Chi and Bagua um, are all these, have all this philosophical background. So Sun Dong helped bring that to the surface and, you know, and helped make Chinese internal boxing more... Uh, sort of like legit, you know, made it more mainstream somehow. Yeah, he's the sort of the godfather of Nie Jia Chuan, right? I mean, he was the one that sort of coined the idea mm. of Tai Chi, Xingyi, and Bagua being one family of martial arts, aka internal martial arts versus, you know, external martial arts. You know, he was a pioneer in sort of defining the three of them as one family. Right. And another thing that's interesting is I think he's a little bit of older generations than some of the other guys. Like he was around to meet some of these original masters like Cheng Tinghua and Bagua or uh, Guo Yunshen and Xing Yi. So he's this connection to the past and he wrote a lot about it to sort of preserve those teachings and memories. Other schools may sort of have him as oral tradition, but he, he laid them all out for everyone to use. Yeah. So I'd like to start by looking at uh, Robert W. Smith's Xing Yi book from 1972 and he gives a little biography of Sun Ludong. So it's like two paragraphs here. Um, Sun Ludong was a giant in the internal martial arts. Born poor in 1859, his father died when he was nine. Um, so he has a life of hardship and uh, goes through some really hard times. And then eventually, um, it's age 15, he begins to study Xing Yi from Li Kuai Yuan. And we haven't talked about Li Kuai Yuan, but he's somebody who's... Uh, you know, his, his teachings are preserved by Sun Ludong. Then when he's 19, he walked to Beijing and started Xing Yi training under Li Kuai Yuan's teacher, the most famous one, uh, Guo Yunshen, the divine crushing fist that we've talked about a few times in the past. And then thirdly, he learned Bagua from Cheng Tinghua, the student of Dong Ai Chuan, becoming so proficient that after a year, Cheng Tinghua said he was his best student. So that's a pretty big resume in terms of internal martial arts and these are some of the top teachers of the schools. For sure. So the next paragraph describes his training regime when he was in Beijing, which I thought was pretty cool. So during this period, Sun learned from Guo half of each day, Xing Yi, and then he went to another section of Beijing to learn from Cheng Tinghua the other half of the day. Wow. 
Guo's training was Spartan. Often he would ride on a horse, forcing Sun to hold onto its tail for distances up to 10 miles. This instruction continued for several years. Gradually, Sun became famous and was challenged many times. It was said of him that though he never lost a match, neither did he hurt anyone, so great was his skill. Hmm. Which is a pretty interesting piece. I think that's also part of the legend of Sun Ludong. Is like he's not known for being the most burly, muscular guy. He's very slight of build, and so he was able to win all these challenge matches without hurting the other person or getting hurt. Yeah, and that's like a that morality thing of, you know, I want to hurt you, but I can. You know, <laughs> I have to. If I have to, yeah. Yeah, and I think in those days, challenge <clears throat> matches, you know, some are fake and some are real, but it sounds like he went through that process of fighting other martial arts, doing a lot of sparring, experiencing uh, hand-to-hand combat, basically, in the early 1905, 1910s, 1890s, that, that period of time. Yeah, he kind of became like an ambassador, just sort of traveling around, I think, and you know, getting into scraps and showing the art to, you know, different places. Yeah, so that's that's what I have from uh, Mr. Smith's book. So next we wanted to draw on a piece from one of Sun Ludong's books where he talks about his training with his first Xing Yi teacher, Li Kuai Yuan. Um, and it, he gives a short biography of Li here. He's from a village called Behind the Mountains. When he was young, he attended school and excelled in small script calligraphy. He was fond of boxing arts and learned Dom Doi, Baji, and other styles. Um, when he was in the prime of his life, he was a bodyguard for government facilities and became very well known. So it sounds like he was from that whole bodyguard generation of the late 1800s. He was always fond of competing with opponents and frequently won. Later, he encountered Guo Yun Shen in competition. Li was an expert at using his legs. He lifted up his foot to kick and noticed that Guo Yun Shen made a mere stroke with his hand. Behind Li, there was a wooden stool and he went over it and fell to the ground more than 10 feet away. He got up and apologized for any offense, then did obeisance and became Guo's student. He attended upon Guo as if they were father and son. Um, so it says he then trained, you know, for years very enthusiastically and became one of the top students of Guo Yunshen. And that's who the person we're talking about, Sun Ludong, learned from. Right. So I wanted to pull out a few of the quotes about Master Li's teachings that, that Sun Ludong would have learned. Um, so he starts off by talking about Xing Yi means the original nature of a person, which is an interesting quote. <laughs> right. um, so let me do a few of these and then we'll talk about it. So he says, the earth is like the original soil of your body. Hung, meaning earth fist, means all is one, comprehensive, inclusive, centered, containing all elements. Keep the wholeness of your body and your original nature. Xing Yi contains four things to be transformed. Pi, Bung, Zuan, and Pao. These four styles all derive from Hung. So how does that connect with our training? Well, it's I think the idea is that all all of the you know earth contains the other four elements, right? Yeah, that's something that seems common in Xing Yi. So the next paragraph he says, In Xing Yi, you move your body and limbs in a natural, unobtrusive, and harmonious way. When you achieve the highest level, you become a superior man. And I think that speaks to the Confucian idea of like right. not of that sort of ideal person of yeah. accomplishing your self fulfillment or self actualization maybe in psychology. Yeah, and morality and sort of there's a whole you know thing about you know just being a good person and. So he's connecting Xing Yi to that um, the moral the morality side of the times where people were looking for do something to be upright and noble in a way. 
Yeah, you know, it's that trying to uplift martial arts to sort of a higher level than just beating the shit out of people, I think, too, you know. So the next thing is he says, Shingi emphasizes the inner aspect so that where you think, the action goes. That reminds me of the idea of Shingi as Shing being your intention. E, I mean, E being your intention, Shing being the shape that it takes. Right, that right? Your, your mind tells your body what to do and your body does it. So the E is the the leader, right? So he's saying it emphasizes the inner aspect. There's that, again, that teaching of internal martial arts. Like, right. And that has so many different meanings. But I think in this case, it's saying you're letting your your mind guide your attacks rather than what? Your instinct or you're just like reactive, you know, training? Yeah, rather than reflexes or fear, mm. you know. So fear, yeah. So fear would cause you just to throw up your hands. But if your mind takes control, maybe you take a more, a better action. Yeah, the the way Bruce talks about it in The Power of Internal Martial Arts, he talks about the animal, human, spiritual martial mm. arts. And so the, you know, animal approach is you just kind of go berserk and fight with everything you've got. give it all you got. And you don't care really what happens, you know, at, unless as long as you win, where... The sort of human approach is a bit more uh, reactionary, a bit more based on what you see and how you react to it. So this sort of thinking mind of, and that's what Xing Yi is, where you you see something happening, you make an action with your intent, and then your body follows that action, follows that intent. So there's no like just reflexive, you know, how fast can I move my arm and bash something kind of movements? Everything is based on your mind being in control of mm. your body. Yeah, that makes it. And that reminds me also of the idea of like, don't be scared of what hasn't hit you yet is one of the concepts we've always had. Like sure. that you're letting, you don't, you don't, your mind can get scared and freaked out and you're reacting to stuff that actually you're just imagining hasn't happened to you yet. By staying in the moment, you react to a fist actually coming to your face rather than someone fainting or right. trying to fake you out in some way. And it goes the other way too, where when you hit somebody that you don't celebrate and go, yay, I did it right. And you know, while you're getting clobbered. Right. So that you don't you, go too high or too low. Right. That you, yeah. That you stay present to what's actually happening right then and there. So listen to this. He talks about uh, sit, static sitting is mm -hmm. in the very next sentence. After sitting very long, the chi circulates. Action yang grows after sitting, yin. Although Xingyi action differs from that of a sedentary person, it derives action from the calmness of Taoist sedentary work. Thus, our theory is consistent with that of the Taoists. So he's saying that when you sit a long time, it circulates the qi, I guess. And he's saying we do that, but in a in a moving way. Right. He's talking about, I think, I think when he's referring to sitting, I think he's specifically referring to like, you know, sitting meditation, right, where, meditation. You, where you drop into your lower dandian and, mm. and that whole thing. And so he's saying that Shingy uses that same methodology of, you know, sinking and sort of being in your body that you use in, in meditation. And it's a, and the way it's translated here is the calmness of the Taoist sedentary work. So that whole, you know, being very present, calm, and not reacting to things that aren't happening, kind of yeah. present moment awareness. Basically, I think he's saying that, that what you're doing while you move is the same thing that you would do if you were sitting still or you know, it's that you're still maintaining these, you know, original principles. It's just you're moving. All right. So next he says, a student should not stick to one style, nor should he be too fussy about a style. 
Neither is the right way to learn Xing Yi, which does not follow formality too closely. Which is interesting because, you know, I mean, Xing Yi is taught in a strict way, but it's also not, it's about what you can do, not about where you are on the order of the formal chart or whatever, right? Like, Xing Yi has to show results. Right. <clears throat> it's that piece about if it doesn't work well, right? right? Like, what's the in point? In Xing Yi, that's so, not allowed. I think the getting too attached to, well, this is the way I do it, even if it doesn't work, is is mm-hmm. not the Xing Yi way, right? The right. Xing Yi way is it has to work. So here he speaks to you, rules are taught by teachers, but the essence is comprehended by the boxer himself. Rather, he should seek to get to the origin of boxing. The inner helps you do the external exercise. So again, there's that internal martial arts of idea of like, what's at the very core? What's the most basic primitive level of what's great about this, which is oftentimes like say chi or whatever. You're, you're getting down to some core concept rather than a list of techniques. I don't know. It just seems to me he's speaking to that sense of get to the origin of boxing the inner helps you do the outer. Yeah, I think he's talking about Negong, right? Mm. He's talking about the inner is doing, you know, like the the inner work of Negong so that when you do the outer movements, you still have that piece. And finally, he must have the best teachers. Otherwise, everything will be confusing. The profundity of boxing appears beyond our reach. He says, but the golden mean says, Dao is not far from you. If you, if you try, you can approach it. So again, he references Taoism, which is interesting because like, you know, there's always debates, different schools have more or less interest in spirituality or whatever, but he's clearly, the way Sun Ludong's quoting him is he's putting, there's, there's Taoist essence behind the training we do to give it a juice to get me as marketing or, but also as there's obviously truth behind it as well, but he's, there's a reason he's calling this out, you know? Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a difference between... I think Taoism in terms of Taoist like Neigong practices or mm. sitting practices and, you know, quote unquote spirituality, right? I think he's talking about the Taoism of, you know, the Neigong part of Taoism, the, mm. the, the physical part of it and, the, you know, sort of the um, cosmology of it. Because Xingyi is a... You know, it is based on Taoist principles, but it's not a religious thing. You know, you're right. not you're not meditating. I mean, you're not uh, trying to achieve some higher level of spirituality when you practice Shingi, but you're using some of the same things mm-hmm. that that a meditator would use to get them to to the point that they could meditate right. long enough to do that stuff. So I right. think there's a there's a lot of crossover, especially with all the standing stuff, and it's, it's pretty it's pretty meditative. Yeah, it's the it's the sort of uh, standing meditation, right? Mm. It's 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 medit or meditative. I think you know, like you say, it's because it's, it's not really doing the right. um, the the shengong part of it. It's more the um, container part of it that you really can't do serious hardcore Taoist meditation if your body's too messed up because you're just going to be in pain the whole time and struggling with getting comfortable. So Shingy uses a lot of the same Taoist sort of Neigong principles to get so that you're, you're comfortable in your body. Basically. I mean, it really comes down to just having freedom of movement, having freedom from pain and just being able to like do things without your physical body getting in the way. Major distraction, right? For sure. Yeah. And we see, it's just interesting how oftentimes these guys refer to 
either Buddhist or Taoist religion or Confucian principles and philosophies in the training. It's it's woven into the training. So. Yeah, I think, well, I, I think most of these guys probably grew up, you know, I mean, it doesn't say that, but I'm assuming that they grew up at least partially around some of these religious ideas. Right, so, I mean, obviously. Some more than others, I think, took it right. into their martial arts, but it's the equivalent of people do... Um, the sign of the cross when they score a touchdown. Or you or could quote like Teddy right. Roosevelt said, the man who fights in the arena is the one who, you know, you, right. you draw on cultural illusions yeah, yeah. and alliterations. So the next thing we move to, it says, as you think, so you become. Boxing is the same. We begin by learning Santi. All the forms and styles derive from it. You sink the chi to the navel and reach infinity. <laughs> That's the... Um, Sort of same idea, right? You're, you're, you're using the Tao, or the Taoist principles of becoming one piece, of becoming unified. And, you know, and I mean, he says reach infinity. That's not a small thing right there. Right. Sure. I think in, I think that's a translation thing. I sure. Think, I think he, the word was probably Tao. Could be. Uh, Could very well be. So the next thing he mentions is snake. Take the snake as an example, how it meanders and shoots forth. It is one of the twelve styles. You act like a snake. From Shingi comes the five forms, and from these come the twelve styles. They all come from the inner strength, which comes from the chi generated at the navel. Crawling and curving naturally, the snake acts just like a wire. If you touch a part of it, all parts move. It is flexible and dexterous. So that's pretty cool that he, he jumps right into Santi, five elements, twelve animals. Right, and there's some key phrases that he drops, like um, the one part moves, all mm. parts move, one part stops, all parts stops, right? I mean, he's kind of referring to these principles that are in Tai Chi as well, that you, know, mm -hmm. you have certain uh, guiding principles in, uh, that really come from Taoist Nagong, and you're, you're sort of, that's how you maintain the, the practice, so... And especially what resonates is, it's like, how many times have we heard this one? They all come from the inner strength, which comes from the chi generated at the navel. Right. Everything so, comes I mean, from the it, You could say, okay, working with the Dantian is part of the training. But, you know, when I read these old guys, it's almost like working with the Dantian's the most important part of the training. Or, like, the, the core of the training. Or, like, the base of the training is somehow connected to this cultivating the chi of the lower Dantian. It just comes up over and over and can't get away from it. When you're doing something that's based on using that part of your body and doing things with that area, I mean, I, it doesn't matter what you call it. If you want to call it chi, you want to call it your core. I mean, it's mm. it's just being able to access the 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 qua, mm. right, is what we call it, um, which is that area sort of from your upper thigh to just above your hip maybe even a little higher up towards your midriff. And that when you have awareness of that area, there is a center point in there that is your dandian, lower dandian. And it doesn't have any real, it's not a thing you can touch, but it, it, it is your physical center, right? Like if you cr you know took a cry, right. like cut yourself, bisected yourself, there would be that spot. So, on one level, it's a physical thing of you're not throwing your head around or whipping your body around that you're maintaining this sort of physical alignment. But on a, on a deeper level, it keeps you just from um, reacting to things that aren't actually there. It keeps you sort of 
there's a grounded feeling by yeah. having a little lower in your body. Yeah, like, you're, you feel like you're seated in your legs a little more somehow. You're seeing from inside your body, not from your sort of uh, like reactive mind. So it gives you this sense of just sort of being able to withdraw inside and see what's coming mm -hmm. at you without freaking out. There's a poise to it, a yeah. sense of posture of like it, I calmness. Mean, it's you keep mentioning that calmness part, and I think that's part of it too. It's cliche, but it's your it's your center. When you find your center, you don't freak out that something is coming at you because you're not unbalanced. The next part is when you concentrate, you can make yourself anything. The mind is everything. When learning boxing, never feel proud. In my youth, when I boxed or fought with the spear, I was often defeated, but I learned and improved. So it's something about the concentration, you can make yourself anything, the mind is everything. Like this is a guy who's an expert spear fighter from a bodyguard company talking about the mind is everything. Like that, you know, he's not like sort of me, like someone who's just an average Joe, like practices in the park. Like this guy was taking it out in the field and using it. And he comes back with the message that the mind is everything, not the body. Well, what could, what controls your body is your mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the, this is the primary sort of directive of Xing Yi that it's mind first, body mm -hmm. second, right? That, that your mind tells your body what to do. You're not just having your body react to things out of reflex and then trying to figure out what's mm. happening with your mind. Um, and that that training is the Santi training. It is the five elements. It is all of it. But the end result of it basically is you can stand there and when something comes at you, you can just sit there and you're in your belly and you don't actually have to move until the thing is a real threat. You're not just freaking out and kind of, you know, imagining things happening to yourself or whatever. And so it's. So he ends with a few paragraphs on um, advice for training. So he says, let your mind be empty and your chi full in every posture. So there's, I mean, step one, empty your mind and fill chi in every posture. Like that itself is a pretty rigorous process but it's only one sense hold your waist correctly in the five forms in the 12 styles cleanse confused chi imagine that it is perching beneath your navel and regulate your breathing hold your tongue against your teeth and your mouth half open and breathe naturally i think these are common instructions to more or less i mean he's right? describing them a little bit differently than is the more common sort of but you know it's it, he's getting at the same so those are the things you're supposed to do then he says, never do three things. One, push out your chest. Two, raise up your abdomen. Or three, blow up your chi. Yep. I would agree with that. So that pushing out your chest is always a no-no in all the schools. Like, you learn from the start to lift from the top of your head, not from, like, forward right. with your chest. And then raise, don't raise your abdomen. So I wonder, does that mean, like, clench your like stomach muscles? Pulling or? up your stomach muscles. To like yoga up. style? Uh, more like clenching your, clenching your stomach muscles. Cause I think we do rise up from the top to like, let your belly relax into the space rather than like squeeze the guts kind of. The, yeah. Uh, what you want to do is lift your spine. What frequently people do to try to do that is clench their stomach muscles, but your stomach muscles never clench in this. It's the muscles and ligaments along your spine stretching upward, but you're never clenching anything so he ends with some 
some uh, practice advice here. Sometimes when following the technique exactly, you feel that your body's not coordinated, your abdomen does not feel good, the postures are bad, you're not feeling happy, don't worry. You have gained something and are at a point where you can solve the problems. Do not despair. Instead, ask guidance of your teacher. You then comprehend everything will crystallize in your mind, and out of great confusion will come bliss, certainty, and progress. Which is a nice encouraging end. So he's saying, you know, when you're having a bad practice session is when you're on the verge of making a breakthrough. I think we've heard that before in some of these books. Yeah, and that's a really kind of big thing is is that frequently with Shingy, because you're doing motions that you haven't done before, you're you're mind and your neurology is shifting a little bit so it feels really awkward at first and part of the training is learning how to do it where it doesn't feel awkward so basically you know practice 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 you just have to keep doing it until the point where it doesn't feel weird to stand on one leg anymore or it doesn't feel weird to keep your back straight it feels natural it feels normal uh, the phrase i like from ken fish is you make the unnatural natural, right? That you 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 make things that feel completely weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> you make them feel comfortable. And how do you do that? You practice. Keep at it. And if you get stuck, you ask your teacher. That's why it's really important to have a teacher. I mean, even if it's someone that you only see once a year, if you know the right questions to ask, you can you know get a lot out of it. Drawing from a study of Taiji Chuan by Sun Ludong, Translated by Tim Cartmel. We're looking at the section where uh, Sun Ludong is learning Xing Chen. For the first year, Sun studied Xing Chen with Li Kuai Yuan. He was only taught the San Ti standing posture for a full year. He was not allowed to practice anything else. Sun wondered why he was taught only standing. However, since his teacher had told him to only practice standing, he did not complain. After about six months, Sun started to feel as though his chest and stomach were full and his feet had roots. He was starting to develop internal power from his standing practice. And he figured that this is what real Gong Fu was all about. So like one year in Santi, I mean... That's exactly what I did. Did you? Yeah, it was... Dang. Well, it was it was nine months of classes, but, right. it, you know, it was basically... So he wouldn't go anywhere past Santi in the first no, class? No, we didn't... Uh, well, we got... we Not just Santi. We did Petrin for a right. year. So, you know, Santi was six months of it. And then sure. Petrin was six months. I mean, you got to do Petrin to go from Santi to Santi. Basically, yeah. But it was, it was, we didn't do much beyond that. Awesome. So, I mean, and I would say, do you have to just do it six hours a day for a full year? Like, no, but make it, it's a good thing to concentrate on somewhere in your Shingy journey. It may not be the first year, but at some point, you're going to have to do it for a year. Yeah, I mean, that, could, way, that could be five minutes a day for a year. Because, I, mean, I mean, the Shingy school I started with, we did Babu Da, Ba Ti, Ba Lian So. We didn't do Santi. Santi was considered, like, more an advanced mm. practice. Yeah, I think different schools have different, you know, orders that they make, you know, importance of, you know, learning the form versus doing that stuff. Some schools don't also just don't have that piece of it, so they focus more on the forms. Sure. After these experiences, he started to stand more diligently. After Sun had practiced standing for approximately one year, his teacher saw him practicing one day and snuck up on him to test his level. Lee hit Sun in his back with a palm strike, and Sun's standing posture was not affected by the blow. He realized that Sun had attained a good level of development and had potential, so he invited Sun to come live with him and started to teach him Xingyi's five elements and twelve animals. All right. Sun practiced his Xingyi Chuan so hard that after only two years of training, he had developed a much higher level of Xingyi Chuan skill than was expected of someone of his age and experience. 
This seems to be a common thing with him. All his teachers you know, <laughs> right. seem to think, wow, this guy's really good. This guy's so. the best. It seems like his hard work was yeah. uh, a big part of it. So then we, the book talks more about his experience, um, the different people he met along the way, um, you know, in his life and so on. But after a couple of years, Li Kuai Yuan told Sun that he had taught him just about everything that he knew. He suggested that if Sun wanted to learn more about Xing Chen, he would introduce him to his teacher, Guo Yunshen. Sun was very excited about the possibility of studying with Guo. Hey folks, Isaac here again. Uh, just want to thank everyone for listening again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, check out our Patreon. We have a year-end uh, listener question episode where we answer questions that have come in from our Patreon listeners. We also have some interviews up there and we will have a couple more coming out soon. Check out the Instagram for images to go along with the episodes. Like and subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, and most importantly, take care of yourself.